Good evening from Plunkhead Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And this is uh, F5 Live Refreshing Technology, episode 561 for uh, Sunday, May 17th, 2020. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, Microsoft is seeing double. Epic Games licensing is getting unreal. And Google is in the crosshairs. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, um, on our live stream platforms, livestream.com, Mixer, Twitch, Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook, through a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, or a myriad of other options, on the radio or on our website, plugitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are three ways that you can do that. The first, of course, is joining us live Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern by going to f5live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us during the show and give your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. Or uh, if you want to listen on the radio or on the website, uh, 88.1 WMLD radio in the New York area, uh, Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern. And of course, you can always subscribe at plugitslive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, The Pilch Point, Plugits Live Presents, and more. And of course, you'll find all of the ways that you can watch or listen. Hey, Avram. Hey! (laughs) We're starting a little late, and we're using totally different technology than normal. (laughs) Because we had a bit of a panic as the show started. But, uh... We're here! Yay! It's good to be back. Yes, yes, it is good to be back. Uh, how are uh, how are you doing this evening? Uh, I guess I've been worse. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess I've been worse. The uh, It's, uh, you know, really uh, good to have so much uh, cool, cool tech to play with. Uh, I've got a little toy here I'll show... I'll show folks uh, later during the Pelch Point segment. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, all thing, all things considered, uh, it could uh, it could be worse, for sure. Uh, and speaking of cool things, uh, we are this evening. Uh, y- you guys who are watching live are guinea pigs for a product review <laughs> for Plug Hits Live. Uh, for a product called the Stream Live HD from a company called Aten A T E N, uh, the UC ninety twenty. If you check out our Instagram, you'll see a picture of it just before we went live. Um, it, it's a it's a stream deck for um, kind of simple streaming. Uh, because of that, we're still using <laughs> some of our normal technology as a feed into it, um, but. Uh, for, for a basic show, I bet it would be pretty good. Uh, I'm going to be using it tonight. (laughs) So at the end of the show, I'll give kind of my first impressions (laughs) on using it. Uh, fingers crossed that it goes well. It hasn't been our problem tonight though. So, so that's good. Um, it's, it's been, it's been an interesting week, uh, over here. We've, uh, I have got, oh my god, Avram, have I got products to review. I have got boxes and boxes of products here. It's killing me. 
I, I wish there were like four of me. You ever get to that point? Yes, yes. <laughs> I have a laptop over here that I need to review on my side here that I need to review. I've got a roundup of Raspberry Pi, various Raspberry Pi things I need to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I complete, I completely get it. Um, so it's, yeah. It, and, um, there's been a lot of distractions here lately in my house. So, uh, the thing that's hardest to do for me when there's distractions, like a toddler coming in here is writing reviews. Uh, you know, every other things are easier to do when I'm distracted than, than that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I hear, I hear you totally. It's there's a lot, a lot. Um, I, I have in the office right now. I have four products all going through battery tests. <laughs> I've got a a portable battery. I've got uh, headphones. The if you guys watched our deconstruction project two weeks ago, the uh, the earbuds that I was wearing instead of these because these were hooked up to a different input. Um, those are doing a battery test right now. Oh, <laughs> it's a little nutso. I'm, oh. thank goodness. Thank goodness. I built a battery tester though, that I can deploy to whatever devices I want. <laughs> Makes things easier. That, oh. that is good. Oh my goodness. Well, obviously you can uh, keep an eye out on both plug it's live and Tom's hardware.com. Uh, for these product reviews that we're talking about that will be that will be coming in the future because <laughs> obviously we're both inundated with products and that's a good thing because yeah uh, well it better than better than not yeah. you know I'll, I'll I'll you know if anybody wants to chime in about things that they would like to see uh, I mean like to see yeah. from these reviews I'll, I'll tell you right now because none of these things is a secret I have I have a ThinkPad X1 Carbon over here the latest version uh, to to review. Nice. Um, I have um, I have or am getting I have and am getting a bunch of really small uh, laptop slash phone chargers, and I'm trying to figure out an efficient way to test those. Like besides just plugging them in and making sure they work, like what would be the best way to actually make sure they're delivering the uh, the the wattage that they say hmm. um, that they claim. Uh, and, uh, I also have a bunch of Raspberry Pi cases, Raspberry Pi cameras, and the one that has been taking me like a month, uh, because each test takes like eight hours is, uh, micro SD cards. Uh, that one's almost done. Uh, but I'm not really sure if it was worth it. Uh, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you, I probably That's should have run the five run the five minute test instead of the eight hour test on uh, a bunch of, I have like eight micro SD cards that I've run on the Raspberry Pi to see like what is the best, the best micro SD, best 32 gigabyte micro SD card uh, for the money. Okay. Uh, a lot of them are very similar. Uh, some are a little better than others, but I found a test called uh, FIO f uh, flexible input output test, which apparently is a really great, bare metal storage test, but when you run it, it runs itself like a like a hundred times or something. So, um, and takes the average. So when I use it, it gives me 
it takes like eight hours. Uh-huh. And then then I use another test called IO Zone, which takes five minutes, and I get very similar results. <laughs> so course. should I not just use IO Zone? I've been doing both of them. Uh, apparently, FIO is better because it's less influenced by the operating system. Uh, but nevertheless, how much, like, you know, spe- so I did them all on a Raspberry Pi 4, and I was like, great. Then I realized, well, not everybody has a 4. I probably want to also have test them on a 3, which is different speeds. So I'm running them all on a 3. <laughs> Wait, maybe I should test them all on the, on this 0 over here because that is a slower machine. You know, like, oh. if I'm going to put together a page of what the best micro SD cards sure. are for Raspberry Pi... I probably want to be a little bit more comprehensive than just the latest model. So that's what's been taking forever. And then if I ever want to add more micro SD cards to the test, they will also take forever. So I don't know if I want to keep using this test or not. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, Yeah. That's like doing a, a test on a portable battery charger, right? Because you hook, you hook it up to, the, to a phone. You, let, you put the phone in its battery test. It has to discharge its normal battery and then constantly keep adding I or or these things. Oh my god, these headphones? Twenty-five hours per charge these things run. And obviously you can't just test them once because you could get anomalous readings. You gotta do it at least three times to look for outliers. Oh so just doing the battery tests on these things was a killer, but you know, one of those 20,000 milliamp externals plus the phone running a battery test. Oh, my God. Those things can take days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Also, right. Companies are offering me to test. So, again, if anyone in the audience has things, something specific they'd like to see me do or have a good idea of how I could do this more efficiently, I am being offered like 20,000 milliamp hour batteries actually to test. And so far, I've I've held off because... It's just going to be such a nightmare to do. And, you know, I don't know. It's not like I can write a thousand words about a battery. I mean, really, the best that you could do is is round up a bunch of them and say, like, here's how long each one lasted. But to just get that number could take you a really, really, really long time. Yeah. And 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 a fair amount of work. Yeah. The, the one that I'm doing from. Uh oh. What's the name of the company? <laughs> the PR rep's name is Cassandra. How can I not come up with... I know the rep's name, but not the company all of a sudden. Um, that each, each run takes like two and a half days. So, yeah, I know. I get you. Um, I, I, have, I have an idea that we can talk about offline that I've been doing for a couple of years. Uh, but anyway... Um, Yes, if you have things that you would like us to review, uh, let us know. Definitely let us know in the chat rooms on social media um, because we can reach out to some companies and uh, and see if we can see if we can test out the products that you guys are curious about. But with that, let's get down to some news.
This week's Nifty Gifties and F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new uh, laptop, a tablet, a gaming system like the Xbox One S or X, um, you're looking to pre-order one of the new Surface devices, and there are a ton. We're going to talk about another one in a minute. Uh, you can do all of that at the Microsoft Store and a lot more. VR and AR headsets, um, phones from Samsung and more. Uh, and if you're a current student or uh, military, you can get uh, a discount on almost all of the products. And you can find out about all of that by going to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. So speaking of uh, Surface devices, uh, obviously the, uh, the lineup has not only gotten bigger over the years, but um, has also uh, just recently been refreshed. And uh, last year, in October, Microsoft announced the newest member, uh, well, pair of members of the Surface brand, the Surface Duo and the Surface Neo. The Duo is an Android phone uh, with two screens. The uh, Neo is a Windows 10X uh, device with two screens. The Neo is currently on hold for a variety of reasons, but the Duo, uh, the Android phone, is uh, so far along in its production that Microsoft employees are allowed to uh, apply to be internal testers and take them home. Uh, and we have actually seen photos of uh, some of the, the team with them on their desks with their, their work from home setups that some of the Microsoft employees have posted online. The Surface Duo has been in those photos, but Microsoft has, for whatever reason, been very tight-lipped on the specs of the device. Uh, coming into this week, uh, basically what we knew was that uh, it had dual screens, uh, which obviously <laughs> they were 5.6 inch, uh, 1800 by 1350 resolution, um, that they would support the Surface Pen, and that it was 4.8 millimeters thick. That was literally all of the information that we had. Um, other than the fact that, obviously, the Surface Duo has taken a very different approach from uh, Samsung or Motorola, who tried to make one piece of glass, one LCD that folded. Microsoft went, no, you know what? The, the, the Kia Sera Echo from 2011, that's our inspiration. We're going to go with that. <laughs> um, and if you don't know the Kyocera Echo, think uh, Nintendo 3DS. Um, well, you know, listen, the folding phones that we've seen have not exactly been uh, wonderful so far. Right. I don't think Kyocera had that bad of an idea, to be honest with you. No, I mean, uh, it was such a good idea that Nintendo stole it for for their, their handheld consoles for basically a decade. You know, there was the Nintendo DS, DS Lite, the 3DS. There's been a whole family from Nintendo that were based off that same design. I mean, I like, I like the idea a lot. Um, I think it's a really good idea for productivity purposes to have dual screens. As I sit here today, I have dual screens in front of me at my desktop. I wish I actually had three or four screens, but that's another story. Um, we're going to ignore so, the fact that I have nine screens pointed at me right now. I, I mean, I wit are, are they all on the same computer? No. 
okay. A lot of them uh, are because a lot of them are hooked up to the control system, so they're you know they're outputs of you. And now, I mean, and I us. I really like I really my big problem my big monitor problem right now is that I have a really nice monitor arm that I got a while back, and it only supports two twenty four inch monitors, so. I'd like to upgrade my monitors at some point uh, to be like 4K or something like that, uh, but I can't. I mean, I guess I could get a 24-inch 4K, but those are hard to come. Seems to be very few models like that. True. And then I would really like to actually have more more than two. I like to have three or four. Uh, may, maybe having four stacked is the best. Maybe it's like two, you know, two and two. Uh, I, I can I can send you the arm that I use in the office. So, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, I, my arm is tied into my dock. It's like this really cool uh, yeah. human scale arm dock thing. I knew uh, I knew it was human. As soon as you started saying it, I'm like, it must be the human scale one. Yeah. So, but at the same time, the arm part of it only does two, gotcha. two monitors. Yeah. Uh, so, and the replacement arms are super expensive. Uh, so, I don't know. I guess one of these days... One of these days, I'll, I'll do it. But as far as on the phone goes, I mean, for a lot of people, uh, when you're out and about, if people ever get to be out and about again, um, they, you know, your phone is with you all the time, but your laptop and your desktop with your multiple monitors are not. So, uh, you know, having that second screen for productivity makes sense, mm -hmm. uh, provide that the software is good for doing so. I think that was one of the you know, issues that have happened with dual screen devices before was, you know, did you have the right software to make it really easy to yeah. to do to, to kind of have one thing, one app on one screen and one app on another? I actually remember using the Echo and I actually thought it did an OK job yeah. of this, especially considering it it just basically, you know, forced apps side by side or kicked up a screen, uh, a keyboard on the second screen. Um when when that was what you asked for i was working uh i was working you know mobile sales at the time and we sold a lot of echoes and i didn't have any of them come back which was a good sign because you know we had a lot of you know at, in 2011 android devices were you know there was <laughs> there was a scale and uh android devices were not unusual to come back because uh, a poor one gave such a bad experience and the the echo didn't seem to didn't seem to create that so i'm hoping that we'll see something similar uh from the the surface duo and some of that's going to come from some of the information that we learned this week um about uh the internal specs um six gigs of ram uh which is Obviously, you're, if you're going to be running apps side by side, six gigs of RAM uh, is a is a good uh, a good tool. Um, you're going to have a Snapdragon eight fifty five SOC. It's not, you know, it it's not the one that came out this week or you know whatever. But you know, it's a it's a solid it's a solid processor. Um, Sixty four gig and two hundred and fifty six gig uh, configurations, uh, based on what we're hearing, but. Uh, we're not a hundred percent sure on that, um, simply because the information we have is from the testers at Microsoft, who have said this is what my device has. 
Um, it's also got an 11 megapixel camera on the back, which was one of the things that was uh, really in question because um, there does not appear to be, and Microsoft has been pretty clear on, on their intentions not to include a front-facing camera, which is strange because that seems like if this is a productivity device, it sure seems like Skype or Teams uh, would be something you'd want to be using, uh, but you're not going to be able to. So that's a little strange. Um, obviously, with no front-facing camera, there's probably no face ID type sign-in, uh, but there is a fingerprint, uh, so you will have biometric scanner uh, security on the device, which is pretty cool. Um, and Microsoft has already released um, an SDK for the Duo um, to be able to do um, essentially dual screen apps. So, you know, something like uh, like maybe Teams, right? Where on one screen you've got your chat and on the right screen you've got a, uh, a screen share or something like that. Maybe, uh, maybe you can pull up a document on one and... Uh, and uh, and see the chat in another, uh, or uh, maybe in Outlook, you could have your email list on one and your preview panel on another, that type of thing. So Microsoft has put out an SDK specifically for the Duo, which is pretty cool. Uh, I've messed around with it. So I have a virtual Duo running on my computer. Um, and, you know, I like it. I'm I'm pretty excited about this device, not just because... Not just because it's a Surface device, and obviously I have a Surface device sitting on my desk, um, but because I carried a, an Echo for a little while because, you know, I like to test out weird things like we talked about at the beginning of the show. We like to test out product. I tested out a, an Echo for, God, I probably had it for three or four months, uh, and I was really happy with it. And, you know, an updated version, not something that I'm going to, be unhappy with <laughs> yeah i mean i think it's good that that they're experimenting with dual screen mm -hmm. and in a, in a serious way not a gimmick way like samsung mm -hmm. so uh yeah i mean i think what remains to be seen is is the battery life going to be decent enough to use is right. it going to be too clunky to use uh and is it also going to have the same so i was looking back for a second at the kyocera echo review that i wrote it nice. was me. It was me. I, I, I remember using it. I was like, oh, did I write the review? Yes, it was me. Awesome. Uh, two for a laptop mag when laptop mag used to do phones yeah. in 2011. Uh, and what I didn't like about what I liked it, I gave it four to five stars. But the things that I didn't like about it, I think, could also be issues for uh, for Microsoft. Okay. So one is at a time when people were switching to 4G, it only had 3G. Now, is this phone going to have 5G? Probably not. So at a time when everyone's switching to 5G, this phone's going to be stuck on 4G. Yeah. Right? In fairness to the to the Echo, it wouldn't have mattered much because Sprint did end up shutting down that 4G network anyway. Right, right. But the point is, it was, <laughs> it was a point at which yeah. there was another standard uh, every, that people were already getting. And Kyocera and already, in that case, Kyocera already had uh uh WiMAX devices on Sprint and then they came out with this device that didn't and it 
it kind of held it back for sure. So, I mean, I think that's one thing that you get when you get phones that are kind of the experimental concept. You don't get the best of everything. Uh-huh. And that, I think that's very problematic as someone who wants to buy a phone. Like, oh, yeah, so you can get these dual screens, but if you want a good camera, someone has better. If you want our best connectivity, another thing has better. So yeah. it's like you you shouldn't have to choose between having a cutting edge con- design concept like mm-hmm. dual screens and having the latest connectivity or the latest processor or the latest camera. Yeah, Samsung does this too. Like you don't get uh, you don't when you get a, a Samsung phone that is sort of a concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, phone, you don't necessarily get uh, the best camera or right. or the best connectivity from them either. Yeah. Right. I mean, I remember uh, what was the name of the Samsung phone that had like a zoom lens on it that was actually like a physical zoom lens. Yeah. The ha- yeah. I don't remember, but I know the. Yep. Right. So the camera was good, but you didn't get the best screen or whatever. Like. Yeah. There's the, the the Nokia PureView, right? 40, yeah. 41 megapixel camera, but at a time when everything was was uh was LTE, the the 808 still came uh 3G and the screen was a disaster. Plus I mean it was Symbian as Symbian was on its way out, but still Right. So that's the thing. It's like these companies shouldn't make you choose. Mm-hmm. Now and it's going to be expensive, I'm sure. So, you know, if you look at the person who's going to buy a flagship phone and they're expecting to hold on to it for a couple of years, mm-hmm. right? So in a, right now you can get 5G in a lot of places. A year from now, it's going to be much more prevalent. But you're still – but unless you plan to change phones every year, right. it's kind of a downer right now to buy a 4G – to buy a phone that can't do 5G. Right. Granted that 5G is still not absolute necessity, but... Right. But in a year, you know, during your two-year contract, which I know contract, it, it is, uh, during your two-year lifespan on a phone, uh, 5G is is going to, to sneak in, right? It's going, to, it's going to solidify itself. And so, you know, being saddled with a device that's that's LTE max, you know, is, is unfortunate. But on the other hand, if you are that person who likes to mess around with, with a unique concept, you usually go into it knowing that, that you're going to give some stuff up to, to play with interesting concepts or, you know, odd phone designs and things like that. So maybe you're prepared for it. I want to try this thing. So bad, I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to try it, but it's hard to see myself buying it mm-hmm. if I'm not getting the best, if I'm not getting the highest quality camera and I'm not getting the highest quality connectivity, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the camera in my case because I use them for like for pictures for work. Yeah. But uh, for other folks, maybe it's not as important. For, fortunately for me, I, I do carry two phones, so... I I do have that ability to have a device that is my my messing around device and uh and not have to sacrifice you know the camera the 
the the network speed. Although, you know, if you're doing one Android and one iOS device, you know, this next generation, and you do the Surface Duo on one and the iPhone, whatever they call the next one on the other, you're not going to have 5G on either. So <laughs> you have to make a choice there, too. So um, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I'm excited to see it. I definitely want to try it. Um, and if the rumors that we're hearing from inside are true, we might see it sooner than holiday 2020. Um, because uh, apparently uh, they are pretty set on the hardware, which is why they're doing uh, employee testing right now, which is a good sign. You know, if they're happy with it, they could put it into production pretty soon. And uh, from what we're hearing, we may actually see it uh, end of summer uh, instead of holiday. So that would be pretty cool. Um, I want to I want to see it in person because. Honest to God, if you've seen any of the photos of it, it looks like this laptop, but smaller, <laughs> which is so cool to see. Um, I want to put my hands on it, but we will see when we can do that. This week's Pilch Point with Abram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. When you're browsing online... You, uh, you definitely want to uh, protect your identity, whether it be from Google and Facebook or from your ISP, especially if uh, the FBI is going to be able to, to requisition your browsing history without a warrant. Um, and the best way to do that is with a VPN like PureVPN. Um, you can obfuscate your browsing, you can report that you're somewhere else, and, and uh, all of that can be done for $3.33 a month. If you sign up for two years and to get that deal and to find out about the 30 day uh, money back guarantee, you can go to pilchpoint.live slash pure VPN. All right, Avram, it is my favorite type of pilch point. You've got a show and tell for me. Yes, but I know since we also have this on audio only, I will try to tell uh, everything that I show. So, uh, this past week, uh, we had NVIDIA's uh, GTC, Graphics Technology Conference. Obviously, nobody was able to go to it in person, but they did have Keynote. And they and NVIDIA announced some things. And one of the things they announced I've got right here that I got to play with, which is the NVIDIA Jetson NX Developer Board. Now, let's take a step back. What is, the, what is NVIDIA Jetson and what is NVIDIA Jetson Xavier NX, I'm sorry, Xavier NX uh, board in the first place. So NVIDIA Jetson is NVIDIA's uh, AI, uh, AI board technology. Uh, companies are using it for all kinds of things, building robot, building industrial robots, things like that. Uh, they run off of uh, NVIDIA's uh, Tegra processors. Um, and uh, last fall, uh, Xavier NX, their latest uh, generation, was announced, although it's only started shipping uh, just now. And Xavier NX has 384 uh, CUDA cores, which is a lot of, allows it to do uh, 21, um, was it T, uh, 21 trillion operations a second? Um, and that allows it to do all kinds of cool machine learning things. Now, 
they announced the little board, but it was just a little board that was like the size of a of a sodium that is a piece of RAM that you put in your your laptop. Well, that has no way for you to attach a keyboard or a mouse or a monitor. Uh, so they've come out with the developer board version, which for three ninety nine gives you the Xavier NX board NX chip uh, plugged into a developer board that has lots of USB ports. Uh, it has an M2 slot for NVMe. You can add an NVMe uh, SSD to it, although it boots off of a micro SD card. Uh, and even though at 399 it's no Raspberry Pi competitor, uh, it actually has a 40-pin GPIO uh, set of pins that you can attach Raspberry Pi accessories to. And it has two uh, camera, CSI camera ports, uh, which you can attach Raspberry Pi camera modules to. Uh, so let's have a look at it and what and a demo it is running. And unfortunately, because I have but one uh, webcam, I've got to take it off here and show it to you. So over here, oh, sorry, my desk is a mess, but it's a relevant mess of Raspberry Pi stuff. Um, anyway, so over here, uh, you see the, the Jetson Xavier NX developer board. You can see the GPIO pins over here. You can see the HDMI port uh, that I have uh, plugged in. I've got a couple of, I've got a mouse and a keyboard plugged in, but there's four uh, USB ports. Uh, on the bottom, I won't turn this over for fear of unplugging it. Uh, that's where you put the NVMe SSD. Uh, and and uh, it has Wi-Fi, unlike the uh, Jetson Nano kit that came out last year that was $99 that I might have demonstrated on the show and complained about because it had no Wi-Fi. So over here we've got, sorry, I'll hold my hand steady here. Uh, over here we've got the screen, and this runs a version of Ubuntu called Tegra for Linux. And I'm going to show you a demo that it runs. And over here you can see that um, what we've got here is four different AI applications running at once that a robot might real might really need. So one is um, in the in this corner over here. You see it's detecting people. That's important because if you have let's say a hospitality robot, uh, you would it would want to know. Oh, is this a person that's walking by me, or is it a dog, or is it a rolling cart? Um, sure. Over here we have a po we have it analyzing poses of people. Um, all these, of course, are are video. This, these, the applications are really running, but they're using footage that NVIDIA provided. However, I have tested at least the Pose one with a, with a live webcam, uh, and it works. Um, so it can tell how the person sort of where they're facing and moving. And then in the other corner over here, with uh, the, you'll see that her eyes turn, have green boxes on it. It shows a face, with, and it shows when the person is actually staring their gaze, detects their gaze when they're staring at the camera. And then uh, this other corner over here is natural language, which means you'd have to put headphones on, you can ask it questions and it gives you answers based on a set of texts that you supply. Now, uh, the answer is only as robust as the text that you supply. So I wrote like a paragraph about Tom's Hardware and I said Tom's Hardware was founded in 1996. When I ask it what what year was Tom's Hardware founded, it says 1996. When I ask it how old is Tom's Hardware, it still says 1996. 
So it doesn't do any type of, you know, higher level thinking to figure out that 1996 was 24 years ago. Okay. Uh, so why would you, why do you care? Why would anybody care about it having these four applications running? Well, if you were running a, a robot, which this is made to work for, you would, and let's say it were, I think this is really good demo of, say, for a hospitality robot. Um, you would want, put this back so to stop making people dizzy by looking at it. Um, you would want your robot to talk to someone if the robot, if the person approached and looked at the robot. Unlike, say, Alexa or Google Assistant, where you accidentally set them off, you would want the robot to say, oh, this person is next to me, but they're looking at their friend, so no, don't talk to them. Mm. But, oh, this person is looking at me, so I guess I'm going to initiate a conversation with them. Um, so that's an example of why detecting that it's a person, detecting how they're standing, and detecting whether they're looking at you uh, would matter. Um, obviously... There are other things that you can do with this. You can do object detection. You can do object recognition. What type of object is it? So, but the board is powerful enough to do that. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. Um, and it it all runs on Linux. You can use the Jetson uh, SDK, which has a lot of different built-in models. A model is sort of how a machine knows about something, like what knows what human eyes look like, uh, that's a pre-trained model. So they have a lot of pre-trained models that you can use. You can program it in Python or other languages. Uh, and so there's a lot of flexibility here. Now, it is not a hobbyist thing. I mean, it could be, but it's expensive for a hobbyist device, right? You, you're not going to spend $399 to do a fun project, I mean, unless you just got a lot of money rolling around. Uh, you're going to buy this because you're part of a large, larger company and you're buying a slew of these boards and you need a developer kit to learn how to use, to, to learn how to and prototype and make uh, something before you roll out your lineup of robots for the factory. Um, but it's still fun to see what's, for all of us, what's possible. Um, I tried, you know, going through some of their tutorials and I have to admit it kind of hurt my brain a little bit. Um, so I need to get a little better at this before I can really sort of take advantage of what this can do. Um, but I think the idea here is that with, uh, this type of processing power that it has, uh, for something fair, really small, because remember if you were building robots, you wouldn't be using the developer kit that I showed you you'd just be using the little thing with the fan on top of it uh, that, uh, that I was pointing to. That's, that's the actual board, and then you would attach it to whatever uh, you know, I.O. board that you created that your robot needs, which might be really small. So that's just a quick look at the Xavier NX developer kit, which you can buy from NVIDIA for $399. Uh, and we have... Uh, full, uh, a detailed article about it on tomshardware.com right now. All right. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a couple of weird detail questions that you may or may not have answers to. Uh, how many skeletal points does that, uh, bottom left have? I think I counted 24. Mm -hmm. Well, um, good question. 
I only, <laughs> let me, I mean, they didn't say okay. in the, uh, in any of the materials that I got. I, I, uh, I counted 24 while you were holding the webcam one, up to it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, that seems about right. Okay. Yeah. That okay. seems about right. So that's it's about got, that's about the same number of skeletal points as the second generation Connect, uh, which is awesome considering it's not it's not requiring you know all of the things that the Connect was, right? All, with all the the infrared dot grid and all that stuff, it's able to do a similar. Yeah, it'll do it off of a 2D camera. Yeah. So, so my webcam that I'm talking to you on right now, and I would demonstrate it, but I'd have to unplug it from here. Uh, and we all know that web. I don't. I can't get a second webcam for a while because we all know that webcams right now are the hand sanitizer yeah. of the tech world. Um, Although there the, is that there is that that company that just uh, that just announced. A new line of them. Really? Yeah. Oh, you got uh, 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 Karen Thomas, Thompson, uh, Thomas. Yeah. Anyway, she put out an email this week. Hmm. <laughs> I got. I got it. All right. I don't think I got that. I, you got to tell me about this after. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I tried it. Point being, I tried it with my webcam. Although my office space is such that I couldn't really walk far back enough to like get it, it to capture my whole body uh, as. Uh, but it, it, it did a good job of capturing like my arms and my torso, okay. um, you know, and showing, showing skeletal, skeletal points on it. And now, it didn't, it didn't, did it, it didn't panic on a partial skeleton. No. Ah, see the connect totally panics on a partial skeleton. Oh, you mean if it doesn't see your whole body? No, uh -huh. no, it's fine. It, it was fine. If you just saw my face, it gave my face, it outlined my face. Okay. If I rolled further back and I held up my arms and it saw my arms and fingers, it, it got those, um, if I put a second person in the in the frame, uh, it also got them. So it so it, it did that. And I think oh, one th key thing to keep in mind is this is all happening locally. So the this is what you would call edge computing, which means which is short for it's not on the internet. <laughs> it's not it's not using the internet. Like that's a really fancy term that a lot of uh, for those who are not familiar. Uh, the fancy every every time somebody comes up with a new uh, thing, tries to sell an old concept as new, they come up with a new term for it. So now, doing something on your computer where you're where you are is called the edge, uh, instead of just on my computer or on the computer. Technically, uh, technically, edge is a little more than that, but yes, it, and it's been around I mean, a long time. It could, be, I mean, it could be close to where you are as opposed to not directly on your computer. It could be on your local network instead of in the cloud. It's not in the cloud. Right. Right. That's what we're trying to say. Right. Like it's not, these things are much easier to do if they're in the cloud, if you're, you sure. know, push to any, push to Intel or, uh, or Azure's machine learning systems. You can do this stuff super easy, but do you want all of that for something like a, like a robot? Probably not. It would be nice to be able to keep all that, all that private because you've got video. You've got. You don't want to become Clearview AI. Yeah. Well, also, you know, connectivity is not always perfect, sure. right? You could, you could use, you could demo this at CES, which you couldn't do if it was cloud based. Because, right, right. That's so. So, so there. So there you have it. I mean, you can do. That's awesome. It. it 
it does a lot. Uh, it does a lot locally. Uh, I mean, it does it all locally. So that's, uh, I mean, although you probably, for like training a major AI model to like figure it, so it knows what a person looks like or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you may want to use a more powerful computer for that and then download the model to this. But you can, I mean, you, you can use it to create models. I just haven't really, I'm not really an expert on that. So I, I went with what they gave me. But, sure. um, but there's a lot, uh, there's a lot that one could do. Very cool. I've I've already got ideas. Obviously, I already have ideas. I'm I am rebuilding a product that we did for a client in my head using this instead of the Connect, which is why I focused on that that uh, skeletal mapping because that's what the product was based on. <laughs> yeah, that model's already built in, so that's I, like that would be if you if you figure out what you wanted to do with the date with that information, mm-hmm. you could very easily make it happen. I've literally already messaged Mark to let him know about this thing. Uh, <laughs> Cause maybe we can bring the project back under our new company. Anyway, uh, super cool. You've already got content out there. Yes. Uh, TomSoftware.com. We have an article about the Xavier NX developer developer kit. Very cool. Well, I think I'm going to end up having to, to grab one of these for myself, even though I know it's, it's uh, expensive, but uh, it sounds like the kind of thing that I am going to be super excited about. So as always, thank you, not just for our audience, but for me personally, super excited. And as always, I look forward to what we talk about next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Razer. All the accessories you need to up your game on both PC and console are available from Razer. Whether you're looking for a new keyboard and mouse like we use here in the studio, or you're looking for um, the new Razer Hammerhead True Wireless earbuds, or an entire uh, gaming computer like the new uh, Razer Blade 15, uh, you can find all of that by going to f5live.tv slash razor. So over the last year, I'd say, uh, Epic Games has taken their, uh, their position as, uh, as kind of the, one of the loud <laughs> developers. They're, they're the guys behind Fortnite, so of course... There's a lot of tension on them. They have taken that and they've really run with it. Uh, we saw a little over a year ago, they launched the Epic Games Store to compete with Steam. But the thing that set them apart was their, their uh, what I've kind of been calling the keep more uh, philosophy, where, where developers get to keep more of the money that they make instead of uh, Steam's 30% uh, commission, uh, uh, Epic took what twelve percent, which is huge. It's a huge difference if you're an indie developer. Um, then they came out with the uh, Epic Games Publishing, which uh, allowed you to get some funding for a game, uh, distribution for the game, uh, all with again a minimal uh, cost and 
you got to keep 100% of your intellectual property, which is kind of unusual in the publishing world. And then this week, the last big part of of their business that they hadn't quite adjusted to this new mindset was the Unreal Engine. Two big things happened. One, they put out uh, the first uh, big demo for Unreal Engine 5, which uh, is unbelievable if you have not seen it. Definitely go check it out. Uh, it is crazy. Uh, what Unreal Engine 5 is going to be able to do is going <sighs> to... <laughs> it's going to create some beautiful games. And as part of this, they have changed the licensing. Uh, in the past, uh, you used to have to pay $19 a month and 5% um, uh, of the product sales once it became public. But at some point, they changed that. They got rid of the 19 a month, and they made it so that the 5% didn't count until $50,000 in sales which is great for an indie developer. Um, if, if the game doesn't go anywhere, you probably won't hit 50 grand in sales and uh, it doesn't cost you for Unreal Engine. That's kind of cool. But now Epic has moved that goalpost from 50 grand to a million. So until your game does a million dollars in revenue, you owe nothing on Unreal Engine. And when you combine that with some of the other perks, like when you publish on Epic Games Store, you never pay the 5%. Um, the ability to publish with Epic Games Publishing and uh, keep your IP and get funding for your game. Uh, there's, there's a lot out there through Epic Games to support indie developers right now in a way that I don't know that we've ever seen this kind of indie support before, Avram. Yeah, I mean, it's good that it's good that Epic Games is stepping up. I think they see an opportunity here. Mm -hmm. That's good for them uh, to, to seize that opportunity. You know, try to do try to do what you can to encourage smaller developers. And you know, every now and again, uh, I will see. You know, you see sort of the brilliance of games that are not made by big studios that have different kinds of ideas. That like, hey, that seems kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was one that I was reading about the other day. I don't know if this is on Epic Games or not. So, but it was definitely sound like an indie game, where you are a power washer. You power wash houses. That is the game. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's an indie game for sure. Right, and like you know, but nobody Goat. else probably thought of that. And it sounds like it could be a little fun. Goat Simulator definitely got people thinking. You know. <laughs> differently there's, about what an indie game could be there's a game i'm pretty sure this is an indie game but this is switch not not pc uh that that my son and i started playing a while back because we read about it called good job and right. you're like an intern at some company and there's it's like a puzzle game and you have to keep advancing to different floors and it's just like you go around like trying to saw like it's like you got to put all the green boxes on one thing and figure out how to get them on the conveyor belt and 
it's one of those type of like problem solving games, but it's a lot of fun and it's not the kind of thing that I think you would see like a giant, you know, Bethesda type of studio create. And, you know, if you look, if you look back at some of the, some of the most talked about games, uh, in the last two decades, you know, you've got, you've got portal, which was totally an indie game until, uh, valve put resources behind it. Uh, that was being developed literally in dorm rooms. Um, and it's possibly the the highest rated game of all time today. Um, you've got uh, uh, Limbo, which might be the best known indie game ever because they went on to be a big studio because of the success of Limbo. It was so successful that, that Microsoft included them at an E3 press conference. <laughs> I mean, I, that's... You don't expect that from an indie studio, but as soon as, you know, one of these weird concepts and and good job certainly looks like a, a significantly toned down version of Limbo uh, without all the dark, you know, kids trying to kill each other. Uh, but, um, you know, when you start putting putting resources behind an indie, you know, give the indie studios the ability to to build their thing with with better resources. You know, if you don't have to do something in Unity, if you can use, if you can use uh, the Unreal Engine for free up until a million dollars in in revenue, holy cow! The things that an indie studio can pull off with with Unreal is going to be awesome. Where I think we're going to see some really cool stuff, and uh, I, I'm glad to see, you know, Epic taking this this chance um, to uh, to support. The, the indie community, I mean, yes, sure, this will help big developers too because lots of people develop with the Unreal Engine. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I see this as a big push to help indie studios get those, those weird, you know, uh, untitled duck game or whatever, goose game or whatever it was called type, you know, weird concepts out there that people end up just falling in love with. So I, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I look forward to seeing what comes out of it, what new weird games come out. And since it's unreal, it means that you can launch, you can build it and launch it to consoles and, and PC and everywhere, which makes it even cooler. So good job, Epic. This week's news from the tubes on F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies, or let these guys do it for you. Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, the former stars of Mystery Science Theater 3000, are back and doing what they do best, uh, creating commentaries for Hollywood blockbusters and B-movie oddities like Aladdin. Nope. Not the, not the live-action Aladdin. This is, looks terrible. Uh, the way it works is for a couple of dollars, you uh, you uh, download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, Netflix, Amazon, wherever you happen to have the movie, and laugh. Uh, they also do live events. Uh, <laughs> this year is obviously a little messed up, but uh, the live events end up on the site as well. You can watch uh, 
many of the old many of the old live events i have no idea what i'm watching right now and it's so distracting oh my god i think bigfoot just got hit by lightning um anyway uh to find out what full-length features what short films and what live events are available you can go to f5live.tv slash riff tracks with an x seriously i think bigfoot got struck by lightning i don't know what to do with that information uh so um over the last couple of years there has been a uh, a pair of terms that sound similar but mean very different things. Uh, the Apple tax and the Google tax. The Apple tax uh, has referred to um, the 30% commission that Apple takes on developers' use of services that they don't want to use. Uh, on the other hand, the Google tax refers to um, uh, taxes and fees that countries have put in place that mostly are designed specifically to, uh, to target Google. Uh, we've seen, you know, the news aggregation fee in Spain, which uh, ended up with Google uh, shutting down Google News in Spain. Um, we've seen a couple of other things across the EU. France has something similar to the the Spain thing that uh, that they're trying to push through right now, um, and that's because a lot of countries are, let's say, weary of Google. Uh, there's, there's been a, a number of investigations across the globe from the EU to, to the U S basically any, any country, uh, in the Western world probably has at one point or another looked into Google's actions and behaviors and, uh, the motives behind them. One of the countries that has been weird on that has been us here in the U S uh, we haven't really, at least on a national level, we haven't really put out any laws or fees specifically targeting Google. But since 2011, basically every law enforcement agency uh, of any stripe within the U.S. has investigated Google for something or another. Uh, the FTC uh, said in 2011 that an antitrust case should be filed, but they couldn't do it. Um, uh, last year, the justice department, uh, started an investigation and the FTC might finally have their wishes come true because according to the wall street journal, this, uh, this investigation has concluded and, uh, the justice department is currently drafting the thing that will end up being the antitrust case. Um, in particular, they, it's important to note that the specifics of this are not public yet. They will be when this is filed, obviously, but for right now, the specifics are not public, but based on comments that have been made over the last couple of years, we can assume that um, search engine uh, dominance has been a big part of it. Um, one of the complaints that we've seen from all over the West has been um, uh, Google's tendency to promote their own services in search over more accurate or more relevant search results, you know, YouTube videos over other services, things like that. Um, there was the, the situation in 2010, 2011, um, where they just wholesale stole all the reviews out of Yelp and claimed them as their own, uh, and put them into the Google search without even crediting Yelp for it. Um, things like that, uh, 
have led to where we are now. But of course, we know that an antitrust case is complicated and difficult to uh, to prove in a court. If uh, we need a litmus test on that, we can ask Microsoft. Um, the The EU has had far better luck in those things than the U.S. ever has. The U.S.'s case against Microsoft was was inevitably dropped, but in the in the EU uh, to this day. Um, uh, Internet Explorer cannot be the default browser in uh, in Windows. You have to get a choice. So um, there's no telling what might come out of this, but you know, it's the biggest antitrust case that the Justice Department has even contemplated since Microsoft, and that was in the 90s. So uh, th- this would be a big move, right? Yeah, I, I hope it's being pursued for the right reasons, uh-huh. which is anti-competitive reasons as opposed to political reasons. Mm-hmm. Although I guess it's hard to, 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 to separate anything that say that just that that say the FCA or the Justice Department does from, from politics. But, you know, I hope it's not because you know, because I know there's sometimes been criticism of YouTube of Google of like, oh well, you know, we don't like, you know, who you're get who you're giving you know, higher results and others sure. based on the political viewpoint that's expressed on whatever the result is or, or whatever. Like, sure. I, I hope it's I hope it's because legitimately uh, folks are concerned about uh, YouTube. Le- uh, not YouTube. I'm thinking about our next story, which also is Google. But yeah, uh, but very because, different. It's because it's but, not Google's fault. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, that that Google, uh, you know, is leveraging its position. I mean, as a content uh, publisher, I have um, always have you know approached Google with some some mixed uh, feelings. Like uh, Google is such a big part of mm-hmm. getting traffic to any website these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to, and generally, you know, I like Google services. I use them a lot personally and in business, um, but. It's a little scary how much power Google has to decide who's the winners and losers yeah. on the internet. And you, you as a um, you as a consumer uh, or as a, as a publisher, you were like, you know, for example, if Google decides, hey, we're going to take a little piece of your content and create this answer box that's on the top of our results, right? Uh, that may or may not be in your best interest, but you you really want to be in that answer box because you want to be number one. Because so like, because you don't want a competitor to be in the answer box, right? So they create a situation. So for those who don't know, I'm talking about the answer box. But like, you, you ever do a search on Google and you're looking for a piece of information, like I don't know what is the battery life of this laptop, right? So now it used to be that. Google would just give you a set of results from other websites and you have to click through. And if you click through and you came to my website, great. You know, I showed you some ads. Hopefully you're not running an ad blocker. Uh, maybe you actually clicked and bought something. Yay. That's, you know, Google is being a, a directory, a, a, you know, a search service and sending people off to other websites, but Google's a business and they have a, they have a need and their need is, they don't. If they had their druthers, they probably not send, won't send anyone to any other website, because if they can provide it, the answer themselves, 
then they can keep people on Google longer. Okay. So, so what happens? They they came up with this thing called the answer box. Now they use the, the data that you asked for, like the battery life, and they just they might just show it to you above the list of results. Mm-hmm. Well, and they'll show you a link for where it came from. So they're not plagiarizing; they're citing the source. But if the information that you wanted is right there at the top of Google results, you might not be very motivated to click. So you got the answer from me, but I didn't even get a single page view from you. Yeah. Um, so, but yet, I want to be in that answer box because at least there's a chance someone will click it. Right. Uh, and to be invisible on Google is is the worst thing. Mm-hmm. So. You know, that's that's kind of where where we're at is like everybody's highly dependent on Google and Google can make or make or break you uh, in a lot of ways. And, it you know, it's scary. Now, I don't. Yeah, maybe I'm not even really talking about how they're competing, making you compete against, you know, if you're Vimeo or something and YouTube results are coming up higher in video, then. Right. You know that's that's definitely not good for you. Or if you're uh, or if you're Yelp and your reviews are being displayed directly in Google search without any kind of right. Well, that's <laughs> like the, that's like the answer box, right? I mean, they're they're doing it on a larger they did it on a larger scale with Yelp because they just literally just sucked it right out of Yelp. But and, like, and they didn't cite it. Right. Yeah. So that's really bad. But I, I but I mean, like you know, if I. If I have a piece of, if I work hard and writing a piece of information, and all you do, and you get the information you need without having to go anywhere, uh, like it's a pretty good user experience. I don't doubt it, but you know, but the least that the least that someone could get from from publishing information you want is, is your attention for a second there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 difficult. It's really difficult. And then you look at other things Google is doing, which. Are probably good for the internet as a whole, but not necessarily good for pu- the publishers who make the internet what it is. Uh, you, something like Google AMP, right? Google AMP is that thing that happens when you're on your phone, uh, or I think you can also end up with AMP on other platforms, right? And you you get a piece of content and you click on it, and it loads super fast. It loads super fast because Google has said that it can't have a certain amount of ads or tracking codes or anything like that that websites used to make money. So right. it's like the it's like the Facebook instant articles. But now but off of Facebook. Now you could choose not to put out with AMP versions of your articles, but you'd be hurting yourself in search because Google prefer, prioritizes things that are amped. So once again Mm-hmm. You, got, you better play ball because yep. you need the traffic from Google. Right. And and let's be honest, unfortunately, nobody's at nobody is optimizing for Bing. Nobody's try, trying to come up high in Bing. No one is trying to come up high in DuckDuckGo. Uh, you know, so Google is Google is the clear is the clear leader. And as a as a user, I can see why. Like they do a fantastic job. As a publisher, it's frightening to think about what happens when Google changes an algorithm or does something that that affects your business, and yeah. you know that's you you how you really depend on them. I I just realized that because of the setup tonight, you can't see me. I I was raising my hand. I 
I actually do optimize for Bing, but that's because I use Bing as my primary search engine. Um, you know, I'm the I'm I'm the black sheep of the the internet. You know, if I didn't have to have a, an Android device for for work and development, I probably wouldn't see a Google logo outside of the articles that I write. <laughs> I honest to God, half the time I forget that Google has search until I start writing about it. Uh, I, okay, I don't use it for, for anything. So <laughs> I, I do do optimization for, for Bing on our websites as well. And, uh, it has worked well because I'm not competing against as many people who are trying to optimize on it. And, you know, if I can, if I can optimize well for, for 14% of the search traffic, eh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I mean, you know, look, also, I'm not really sure if anything you do to, to do well on Google is really different than you do to do well on Bing, right? I mean, do you... Well, again, you can't see me. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, uh, but not 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 too terribly much. But, you know, knowing knowing Microsoft's mindset helps. <laughs> yeah. no, knowing how the internals of the company works kind of helps you figure out how they're going to do their stuff. But anyway, um, uh, we will see where this goes. Google says they're not worried about it, but uh, Microsoft said that uh, as well before uh, their stuff started to go. And, um, you know, in the end, that was a bit of a mess for them. So my guess is they're probably not excited about what's going on, but they're probably not too terribly worried because, again, Microsoft just had Windows at the time, you know, they didn't, they didn't have all the things that Google has. So, you know, there's, there's some, some room for alarm, especially with the failures they've had outside the U S. So we'll definitely see, uh, when this, when this comes down, uh, probably this summer. Uh, and if it's anything like the Microsoft one, it will drag on forever. So this will be far from the last time we talk about this. This week's DRM not included in F5 Live is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. Uh, you know you get free shipping, but you may not know that you get free music streaming with Amazon Prime Music. You get free TV, movies, and documentaries with Amazon Prime Video, and you also get free video games uh, through Twitch Prime, as well as one free subscription on Twitch, where you can financially support the uh, content creator of your choice without spending any extra money. Uh, you can use that to subscribe to us or any other channel and uh, and help that channel out a little bit. Uh, and all of that is part of your existing subscription and there's a whole lot more. Uh, if you wanna find out more and get quick links to these features, uh, or if you're not currently a subscriber and you'd like a 30-day free trial, all of that is available by going to f5live.tv slash prime. Now I wanna give a quick uh, PSA because there's been something happening on YouTube for a little while. If you have a YouTube channel and you publish videos regularly, um, you are probably going to get a, th a pit in your stomach here in a second when I say this next sentence, <laughs> wanna be friends. Now, 
while that seems innocuous enough, it's not. Uh, this comment shows up on videos across YouTube. Uh, irrelevant of content, irrelevant of subscriber size, irrelevant of whether or not the video is public. Um, this comment is showing up basically on every video. As it turns out, uh, there may be some hacking happening behind the scenes, not just because the comment is showing up on videos that aren't public yet, and that's not possible, um, but uh, when people interact with the comment, whether it be reply to it or subscribe to the channel behind it, which I have not linked to and I will not say out loud um, because I don't want to encourage it, uh, people have lost access to their channels. Um, and those channels seem to be added to a botnet that comments on the channel's videos so that that channel's videos rank higher on YouTube and get more views from legitimate people who may then subscribe and may then lose their, their channels and get added to this botnet. Now, obviously the PSA is don't interact with the comment. <laughs> if you have seen it and it still exists on your channel today, which it probably does not, but if it does or you start to, we start to see this happen again, block the channel. Report and block and just move on with your day. It's what we did um, at one point um, on our primary channel, but not on, on a couple of our secondary channels so that we could test things in the future. Um, so don't interact with it, report and block. But um, uh, one YouTube channel did a big search into this and discovered that literally the, the comment was on basically every video. You could search for anything. Uh, on YouTube that had been uploaded in the last six months or something like that. And uh, if you looked, whoop, first comment. <laughs> Guaranteed uh, this this channel, first comment, uh, want to be friends. I can tell you I had to turn off notifications on YouTube during, during our CES publishing because we were getting them, you know, three, six, eight times a day. Um, Maybe people just want to be your friend, Scott. This one person in particular. <laughs> they really want to be your friend. I mean, you know, come <laughs> on, man. You're not being very nice. <laughs> so so there's a couple of weird things about the channel. First of all, um, it only had a couple of videos, and all of the videos had way too many views. Um, in particular, one video that was a minute and 11 seconds whose splash image just said, please subscribe, which is the type of video that nobody ever clicks on. If you go to even a popular channel, if they've got a video like that, it's got 12 views. All the other videos might have a couple thousand views, and that one will have 12. This one, last I checked, 54,000 views. Most viewed video on their channel. Not possible. <laughs> that is not how that works. Um, and all the other ones were like, how you can get to so many subscribers, and then you watch the video and it never actually talks about it. Uh, so, uh, the guy who did, uh, the, the deep dive into this, who I'm also not going to link to, not because he's a bad guy, but because his channel was stolen during his research into this, 
Um, and last I heard has not received it back. So I'm not pushing anybody to him, but we do have a link to uh, a tweet of his. Uh, so you can follow along with what's going on. Um, he created a tweet talking about it, uh, tagging YouTube and encouraging people to retweet. As it turns out, YouTube has responded. Um, and they have investigated. Last I looked, the channel doesn't seem to exist anymore. So uh, Google may have uh, suspended or terminated the channel um, in question. But if there's a security issue here, it doesn't mean that it's over, right? They may not be dealing with the problem. They may have just dealt with this channel for right now while they investigate and you know, they could just create another channel and do it again. Who knows? Um, so here's the things to, to uh, know. There are a number of security procedures you can take on your YouTube account, including turning on two-factor authentication. Not the two-factor authentication that is somehow tied to Discord. I don't know anything about that, but uh, there seems to be possibly a connection here. I don't know the details on it. Um, but... Enable two-factor authentication. Make sure that your account is uh, is as secure as it can be um, because that will help uh, reduce the chances of, of any kind of account takeover because we see account, you know, hijacks happen from time to time. Um, and so the more secure your account is, and it doesn't matter whether it's just YouTube, but in this case, YouTube, um, you know, secure your, your Google account um, because... This isn't Google's fault, and uh, I want to make that very clear. That there's, very, there's little to no evidence that this is in any way Google's fault uh, or YouTube's fault. Um, so, yeah. How is it not? I mean, if, if, if interacting with a comment can cause you to get your, your, uh, your channel hijacked, isn't that a major security flaw on YouTube? So possibly. So it, from, from what it looks like, based on, based on this kind of deep dive... Um, <laughs> It's the the interacting with the comment uh, is merely like a flag that it's an active channel, um, and so an act a comment from an active channel is valuable to the YouTube algorithm versus a comment from an inactive channel, which is not valuable. So when you reply to or subscribe, that seems to flag this botnet that your account is one that should be looked into. And then it tries to do password resets and all the, you know, all the things that go around um, an insecure account, which if, if your account is set up insecurely, you're using a bad password, you're using, you know, uh, um, an email service that can be, that can be easily uh, hijacked through, uh, social engineering or something like that, or your password matches one from a, uh, a, a data breach or something like that, it becomes real easy to take over your account. And then the comments on his videos from your now hijacked channel help uh, uprank his videos. It's a, it is a very complicated thing, and it, it seems to be entirely based on Basically, you replying to the comment or subscribing and that being a flag that you are an active and therefore valuable channel. So, you know, it password reuse, things like that. Google can't do anything about that. That's 
you know, just that's just creating an insecure, an insecure account. So definitely two factor authentication, things like that. If you can do like if if YouTube's a big part of your day, like it is for us, um, you know, hardware 2FA, um, uh, YubiKey, something like that is your best case scenario. Our, our corporate account is is secured with a YubiKey. Um, so you have to be me <laughs> essentially to get into our YouTube account because I, we, we do a lot of business off of YouTube. We can't, we can't afford to have something like this happen. So, you know, just be weary, be, be aware that not just your Google account, all your accounts should be secure, but this is, this is the place where it's, it's being taken advantage of now. So, but Google's looking into it. They do seem to have gotten rid of the channel, um, and they seem to be working with channel owners to get their accounts back, um, which is good. Uh, if passwords were changed, if email addresses were changed, things like that, they seem to be working with content creators uh, to get their stuff back because I know the guy who created the video is working with Google to get his account back. So um, it's it's a mess. Um my recommendation is if if a comment seems spammy, don't interact with it. That's right now, whoop, don't interact with spammy comments at all. Uh, let them sit in the spam folder uh, and and just be there. That's that's me. Well, that is our show. Thank you to those of you who joined us live. We always appreciate that. If you didn't and would like to in the future, uh, f5live.tv slash join us Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you would like to subscribe, you're maybe you're catching us on the radio or you're finding us on YouTube and you'd like to subscribe on your phone or whatever, pluckitslive.com slash subscribe. You can see all of our shows there and all the many ways that you can follow along with our content. Um, I promised that I would give a quick review on on uh, the uh, the Streamlive HD. Uh, it, I mostly like it. Uh, there's, there is one major feature that's missing the ability to play videos uh, in the system um, that would probably prevent it from being a big success in its target demo. Uh, you know, if if they're trying to target, because it's got all kinds of like picture in picture stuff all built in, it's really cool. It'd be great for a for a, a Twitch streamer, except for the fact that you can't you can't play a video in the system uh, without external an external source, which is unfortunate. But um, you know, for a basic switcher, it's kind of cool. I I I like it. Um, I obviously we couldn't use it because we play several videos throughout the show um, and uh, we've got our communications and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if you for for what we're doing with with the show just tonight, if you're watching live, you know, we've got Skype set up. Uh, we could have that computer come in as channel two without our switcher and we could do it entirely through this if we could play the videos. So, I mean. It definitely has a, a, a potential target demographic if they could include videos in it. Um, I will have a much more detailed review because I've been using it for weeks now. Uh, I'll have a much more detailed review on PlunkettsLive.com uh, in the coming probably week or so. Um, but for now, I think that's, that's going to get us there. And with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you guys back next time. Ciao.